Good morning, everybody. This is James with 77 Financial Group. You're listening to 15 Minutes of Finance, where in the next 15 minutes, I'm going to get you excited about investing. Let's dive into it. All right, all right, all right. Let's dive right into it, guys. Before we get to the market news and the topic of the day, let's do our term of the day. So today it is going to be beta. Now, beta has a negative connotation because alpha, beta, um, both those terms are, are financial terms. But I like beta. Beta is a good word in finance, I think, in investing. Um, and it's a metric that I use, one of the biggest metrics, when comparing portfolios, whenever portfolio design is um, is the topic at hand here. So beta, let me read this to you. It is a very bland dictionary description, and then I'll explain it in uh, layman's terms here for you. Uh, but in finance, the beta is a measure of how an individual asset moves on average when the overall stock market increases or decreases. Thus, beta is a powerful and useful measure of the contribution of an individual asset to the risk of the market portfolio when it is added in small quantities. Okay. I don't, I don't even know what that means, but I know what beta does. So beta is just a comparison tool. So when I build a portfolio and just say you're comparing it to the S&P 500, the stock market. So say that that beta, um, the stock market's beta, the S&P 500's beta is one, just one. And you have a beta that is 0.75 for a different portfolio. So say my portfolio is 0.75, S&P's is, is, is one. Well, that means that my portfolio fluctuates 75% of what the S&P 500 does because 0.75 and then one, obviously 0.75 is 75%. So it will do 75%. It will be as volatile as 75% of the stock market as the S&P 500. So hopefully that made sense. But what you, what I try to do with my portfolio designs is I take the beta and I want it to be less of less than the market. So say, for example, I have a growth portfolio, very comparable, comparable returns to the market, but I want less volatility, right? So if I can get that, then we're looking at a beta under one and I prefer 0.85 or less. It's very, very hard to do uh, just because obviously if you're investing in stocks, a lot of the best growth stocks are in the S&P 500. Um, well, maybe not growth stocks, but some of the most popular investable stocks are in the S&P 500. And so when you're picking individual equities to put in these portfolios, some of them are probably already in the S&P 500. So the beta is going to be comparable. But if you can get it below one, then you have a good beta. You have a, a good portfolio that doesn't have the volatility that the S&P 500 has, but it has similar growth. And that is sort of the goal when designing portfolios. Everybody has different metrics, but that is one of the ones that I like to use just because I don't like volatility. I don't like high, high, high ups and low downs. I want something consistent. So I like to have a floor. And if you're going to have a floor in your investments, guys, like a net, like a bottom, you're going to have to have a ceiling because you're not going to be able to capture every single gain if you're not willing to take every single loss. But I found that steady growth over the years with a low beta, uh, it's, it's just easier to have conversations with clients. And as long as their portfolio is growing at a, 
at the rate that you guys decided at their risk tolerance at, at the way that meets their goals, then it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, so yeah, use beta guys. Look at what one equities beta is compared to another ones or a portfolio. Make sure you guys understand uh, that it's a powerful metric. Okay, let's go into the news now. So what is happening? Global equity markets are choppy again, with European markets pushing higher as the Bank of England raised its 2021 growth forecast amid strong economic reports. U.S. futures are pointing to a mixed open with the Dow Jones Industrial Average at an all-time high while the Nasdaq searches for traction. The Nasdaq composite has been lower for four out of the past five sessions. Uh, I don't like that. Uh, and down around 1% in the past month as investors rotated to recovery stocks. The outflows have left a giant hole in market caps for the 2020 stay-at-home stock winners that may be tough to recover from. The hype machine around altcoins, and I think altcoins is just alternative investment cryptos, I think. Uh, so like Dogecoin and SafeMoon. Uh, Doge, Doge, Dogecoin and SafeMoon continues, driving price to parabolic heights punctuated by sudden and steep losses that come out of nowhere like rogue waves. That's what happens in investing manias, and cryptocurrencies are an extreme example. Bubbles and manias are features of financial markets. That's just how it is. Some, however, last a lot longer and can leave a pretty deep hole when they have run their course. Okay, so pretty boring news day, I would say, uh, but very important is the bubbles conversation, and that's going to be the topic for today, but let me read a couple of these headlines here. I only got three good ones that I found, uh, but today's headlines, Galaxy Holdings, a cryptocurrency asset manager, has agreed to buy BitGo for $1.2 billion in cash and stock, the first $1 billion deal in the cryptocurrency market. The acquisition will give Galaxy Digital more than $40 billion in assets under custody, and the combined company will offer trading, custody, and asset management, investment banking, prime lending, tax services, and even a mining operation aimed at mainly mainly at institutional investors. So let me kind of explain that. Institutional investors, right? That's me. So this person is going to come after me and my clients and be like, hey, look at what we have. We have crypto. As soon as the SEC allows these types of investments, cryptocurrency, it's going to be it's going to be insane. I don't even know how I'm going to handle it. It's going to be such a rush and um, a lot of investment banks and institutional investors like myself are going to dive right in. It's going to drive the price up and I don't, I don't, I don't know how I feel yet. I, I don't know enough about how the institutional market will be regulated. It's going to be, it's too complicated right now, but that is a massive, massive big deal that they have done the first billion dollar deal. So congrats to Galaxy Holdings. Uh, shares of Etsy are down 12% in pre-market trading after the company reported first quarter earning results that surpassed analyst estimates. Okay, so Etsy was one of the big, big COVID uh, companies, COVID stocks that just blew through the moon. I think they were up like 300%. That's probably because Etsy is all about like stay at home, do it yourself sort of designs. So people were probably on, you know, that social media platform or that marketplace looking for things. And then they were able to just have a lot more uh, transaction and traffic. And the last one here, we have Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos sold nearly $2 billion worth of shares in his company in the past week, according to SEC filings. The transactions were made as part of a prearranged 10B51 trading plan. Okay, so Bezos does this kind of every couple of years or every couple of months. I, I think it's like every eight months he does this, I think. But it's a part of the contract that he signed. So he owns, he created Amazon, he has all of these ownership shares. Well, part of 
part of the deal is is that he's probably going to slowly move away from being the main owner. He'll probably always be a majority owner, but being you know like 80, 90 percent of the shares. Um, I'm sure he had something like that at the very beginning, and he's slowly, slowly selling them over the years so as not to um, flood the marketplace and really lower the drive the stock price down. But that's just that's a good move, I think, on his part. He probably takes maybe a million dollars a year in salary. I think I'm not entirely sure what it, what it is, but it's not it's nowhere near what his net worth is, right? Everybody talks about how Bezos, the richest man in the world, well, he's only rich if he sells. Like he's he only realizes those uh, capital achievements if he sells his stock. So by doing this, he's increasing his uh, cash flow, obviously, but he doesn't actually have $10 billion or $100 billion, whatever it is his net worth is. He doesn't actually have that on hand, but he's slowly selling his equities or his position in Amazon to be able to get that cash. Okay, so let's go into today. Let's go to the bubbles. Okay, everybody loves bubble baths, right? Well, here we're talking about bad bubbles. And some of the biggest bubbles that we can think of that we remember, right? We have uh, the Great Depression. That was the Dow Jones Industrials. That was what brought the Great Depression on. Uh, The NASDAQ Composite. So NASDAQ is like the technology companies. Think of that. So that was the tech bubble in the 90s. And then obviously you have 08, the housing market. It's a little different than the stock market, but uh, it definitely affected the stock market. Um, And then now we have Bitcoin. Bitcoin is 100% a bubble. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Most bubbles are bad. And the only reason I don't think it's a bad thing is because Bitcoin is not the same thing as a stock. It's just not. A stock is what I call a producing asset. You're investing. So just use a farm. Say a farm has a stock that you can buy. Well, when you buy that stock, you're giving that farm money. And then that farm can now go buy seed. It can now go buy water. It can now go buy tractors to do more. It can produce more. Right? The more tractors you have, the more seed, the more land, the more water, the better the crop is. And so it's able to produce more crop. And therefore, when you sell, you sell more crop. And therefore, you make more money. And that's how the stock price grows. It is a producing asset. Anytime you invest in a company, company either it produces or it does not produce. Either it makes money or it loses money. And that is why stocks, there's a bubble. That's why, that's why you don't want a bubble with stocks. Well, maybe not don't want, but it's could be considered a bad thing is because they're extremely overvalued. Anytime there's a bubble in anything, it's because it is overvalued. It is because of market sentiment. There are enough people who are hype and crazy about this stock that they go and they just buy a bunch of it and it inflates the price of the stock, right? Because the more, if, if, if something's at $50 and 80 billion people want it, well, those people are going to be willing to pay $51 for it. You know, oh, whoa, wait, hold on a minute. I'll pay more. I'll pay more to get it now, right? So they'll pay $51, $52. Then someone will say, I'll pay $100 for it. And so the price rises based upon that market activity. And with Bitcoin, I think it's a bubble that's not bad because it's not a producing asset. It does not produce anything. That's dangerous because if it does crash or if it does have a, a dip, that money just disappears. Like there is nothing that comes of it. It is strictly a, a currency asset that people want. They just want it. And it's, this, it's you know, Warren Buffett has this famous quote that says, um, um, if you have a golden turd, it's still a golden turd. And what he's trying to say there is like, if people want gold and you have a golden turd, well, people are going to want it and buy it and buy it and buy it. But eventually there's no more gold. 
And so at the very end of the day, someone is going to be left with this golden turd. And guess what? It's still a golden turd. It's just a turd. It doesn't produce anything. It's only as valuable as the next person wanting it. And so that's why I don't necessarily think it's, it's not as big of a deal as if like Apple uh, was in a bubble because Apple produces things. We use those things. And obviously if there was a, if there was a bubble with Apple, then it would collapse and then they would produce less. They would sell less and we would have less things from Apple. And I'm not saying we need Apple's products. I'm just using that as an example of a producing asset. Um, So yeah, I do think Bitcoin's in a bubble, but I think it's kind of been a bubble since its existence. Like it's, it's only as valuable as the next person wants it. And so it's interesting to see how it goes. The, I, I don't, I don't, I have no gripe against cryptocurrency. In fact, if you go make your money, like Dogecoin, I think Dogecoin, if you would have put a thousand dollars January 1st of 2021, I think it would have been like $120,000 right now. Absolutely. Go get your money, go do your thing. But please remember you are taking a massive risk. You are being risky with your money. And I think there's better ways to be risky with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, the, the thing that I don't understand about some of these crypto craze, uh, crazy, you know, this mania, this crypto mania is that if it ever does become an actual currency, like a legitimate currency, it's not going to be one that's already made. <laughs> Someone will create their own. A government will create their own. Um, and it'll be unlimited. It's not going to be like Bitcoin where there's only so much of them. Right. There is a capacity for Bitcoin. I don't know what the number is, but there's a limited amount, a finite amount. So once that runs out, someone's going to be left with the last cryptocurrency or with the last Bitcoin. And it's just going to be, oh, okay, here it is. This is what I paid five hundred thousand dollars for or whatever it ends up being. Um, So, yeah, just keep that in mind when you're looking at market sentiment. That's kind of how bubbles work. And that's what happened um, in 99 or in the late nineties. And then in 08, it was, Hey, we have this massive, massive demand for these houses. And they also created these products. I don't want to get too much into 08, but they created these products that was basically saying they combined people's mortgages. They were called mortgage backed securities. And so you could buy this safe investment that was backed by people paying their mortgages, but then people were getting bad loans and they were able to get like eight houses. There's no way people are able to pay back or pay eight mortgages. And these were people with just typical jobs. You know, we're talking $100,000 or less in income. And you can't have eight houses on that. I mean, geez, it's hard to have one house on that. Um, so that's where a bubble came from that. But that's just, you know, that's just sort of a, that, that was a peculiar situation. Um, but guys, that's it for today. That's how bubbles work. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please like and share. Uh, send it out. Send it to your mom, your cousin, your grandma. I don't care. Anybody who's interested about investing and anybody who wants to learn how to save money. All right, guys, that's it for today. As always, invest early, invest often. We'll see you guys later.